You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. And now we're on to parables. Uh, for those of you that didn't hear this last week, this is a, this is a picture of Logan and I button heads during uh, Sermon Club. Now you know what happens uh, at the staff level. But in, and really, honestly, it's, it's good to wrestle over God's Word. God's Word is, is, on the one hand, very simple. The message is simple. And, in, and if you're the simplest of beings, uh, when you go to it, you'll gain things from it. But on the other hand, it's, it's, it's complex. Like the more you go to it, the more that just seems to pop out. And, and, and the more that you understand the breadth of the, of the narrative, the breadth of the text, and see all the interconnections between uh, you know, each book of the Bible and, and just see how this story is intricately laid out. It's like a tapestry. It's really cool. Um, it's like we have an amazing God and he's worth following, right? He's absolutely amazing. He's absolutely worth following. And parables are, are just like that. Parables, on the one hand, if you, if you read it from a very simple understanding there's something to be gained there. But rabbis, and, and Jesus was the rabbi of rabbis, in my opinion. Hopefully, that's your opinion as well. But Jesus, as a rabbi, would leave hints in his story that connect to the Old Testament. And more often than not, to an Old Testament story, and maybe even a, a prophet, that adds to that basic understanding. It, it adds color to, it, it doesn't change that basic understanding. So when you go to uh, a parable and you read it the first time, the basic understanding is the basic understanding and, and that's what we should get first and foremost. Anything else that we get as we continue to wrestle together and, and wrestling I think is best done in community, I should wrestle with God's word by myself, but I should also wrestle with it in community and, and both have their values. That's why we do Bible studies, why we do care group, so that we can wrestle through God's word together. Uh, there's some uh, definitions within your bulletin uh, about PARDES. PARDES is an acronym. It's, an, it's a Hebrew acronym. And it talks about this hermeneutic tool of Peshat, Ramez, uh, Drosh, Sod. And, and that's what we're talking about when we say that, the, the, that you got the basic, the, uh, the basic reading, and then there's a hint, there's a Ramez, a, a hint that connects this story to another story. Because Jesus was, talk, was talking to a biblically literate people. We're not so much. We have some work to do. We have some catching up to do, as a, at least as a culture. 
We have pockets of people that are very biblical literate, and we have pockets of people that are very biblically illiterate. You agree with that? So, but Jesus was speak, speaking to people that, that they, their education system was based upon the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus authoritatively comments on things about the kingdom. And, and, and that's what I want you to understand first and foremost, that these parables are about what it means to live in God's kingdom. Now, when I've talked about kingdom, there's, there's a few things to think about. Uh, kingdom includes present day. Like, how should we live out our present day existence? There's that reality. Uh, kingdom also speaks to salvation. When we talk about uh, what does it mean to be saved? We're talking about kingdom. The other thing that we should think about when we hear kingdom is, is heaven. Ultimately, all the things that Jesus talks about is ultimately fulfilled in heaven. Or are we doing these things so that we can enjoy God in heaven for eternity? So these are somewhat interchangeable Somewhat interchangeable. Not, there's some distinction between the three terms, but there's a lot of similarity. And so Jesus is sharing these parables so he could talk about what does it mean to get into the kingdom? What does it mean to get into, like, what's my part? How do I get in? And then once, once we're in, what does it look like to live within that kingdom? What kind of value should we be putting on display? How do we do this well? And what does God expect of me? This is why we, every year, we, we take a number of the parables and we, we dive in. Because there's, there's a lot to wrestle through. There's a lot to consider. This week, we're going to talk through two parables, one found in Matthew 21 called the two sons, and one found in Matthew 24 called the two slaves. Now, the audiences are, are different, slightly different. The primary audience, audience for the two sons parable is the Sadducees. It's the religious leadership. His disciples heard it too, so they're part of that conversation, but the primary audience was the, the Sadducees. There's a conversation going on between Jesus and the, and the religious leadership. And we need to know that when we look at that parable. The, the second parable found in Matthew 24, the primary audience is the disciples. And so we need to, we need to understand that. In both of these par parables, there's a comparison that's going to take place. It's a comparison between right action and wrong action, or, or right heart versus wrong heart. Um, I, I even believe that Jesus has got these two parables, or at least the, uh, Matthew, as he records these two parables. They're in close proximity, and, and maybe we can even do some comparison of these, these parables themselves. But these parables speak primarily to people that believe that they're already in the kingdom. Think about a story of two sons. 
would one of the sons think, well, he's in the kingdom and, and I'm not? No, they both assume that they're part of the kingdom. In the two slaves, same thing. Uh, it, in today's world, it's, it's, it's two workers, two people working for the same boss. Think about the show Undercover Boss and how well that works out sometimes. This parable probably plays itself out in that show from time to time. Well, we're going to dive into this first parable. Again, it's, it's, uh, the conversation is primarily with the Sadducees. This is right after the triumphal entry. Both of these parables are within the last week of, of Christ's life on earth, his ministry on earth. And he has just cleansed the temple. And the, the religious leaders come to Jesus and they say, by what authority do you do these things and who gave you this authority? It'd be the same thing as someone coming to me and going, hey, Rob, who, who, who appointed you as pastor? Who said that you could say those things from the stage? Who ordained you or who commissioned you in, in modern American language? And so Jesus asked them a question and he says, the baptism of John, is it from heaven or is it of man? Like, was this John's idea or was this God's idea? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they did not want to answer Jesus. Uh, they didn't like his response. Uh, it was brilliant on his part. And so Jesus shares this parable with them in reference to that. And Jesus says this, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and he said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Uh, as a parent, we've probably had this happen before, right? Johnny, go clean the bathroom. I will not. But they go anyway. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. We've probably had this happen more often than the first. <laughs> Where we asked Johnny to clean the bathroom. Like, absolutely. And you walk away and Josh, is this ringing any bells? Jesus asked this question, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, they being the religious leadership that Jesus is addressing this parable to. And they said, the first, the eldest. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you, the people being baptized by John the Baptist, will get into the kingdom of heaven before you. Now, did he tell them that they would not get into the kingdom? He, he doesn't. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. So Jesus is saying that the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the people that, that went to John the Baptist to be baptized, 
they are getting into the kingdom of heaven before these religious leaders because of repentance. Repentance. In fact, uh, the word regretted for the elder son and the word for remorse for, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, that is the word. The word is repented. It's a, it shares a similar root. It's not exactly the same, but a very close in concept to the word repented in Acts 2.38. Uh, when Peter said, repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, some things to note about this story. With the hint, when you think of a father that has two sons, who do you think of? Just like major players, biblically, who do you think of? I think of Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. Question though, who's the, who's the eldest? Esau is the eldest. Is, is, is Jesus saying to his countrymen, his relatives, that in some cases, the, the children are, are, of Esau are, are more inclined to enter the kingdom of heaven than, than the, the relatives of the second son? That's like that would, that would, it's a little bit shocking. I think he's turning, turning the tables a little bit. But when you think about Jacob or Isaac and Esau and Jacob, Isaac will not send his boys out to the vineyard. He'd send them out to a field. Which should make you scratch your head a little bit and go, why, why vineyard? Why is that? Well, Marty Solomon will tell you that Jesus connects his stories, his parables to Isaiah chapter 5 more often than any other passage in the Old Testament. Over and over and over again, probably because he's trying to, he's trying to get their attention. He's trying, to, he's trying to wake them up to reality. He's trying to teach them authoritatively about the kingdom. And we got to understand that, that all kinds of rabbis had their opinions on what the kingdom looked like. Jesus isn't throwing his opinion in amongst the, the other rabbis just to see who rises to the top. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the one that we, we shape our lives after. They didn't know that when he's sharing these parables though. And so he shares this parable. But let's look at Isaiah 5, because this is the passage that Jesus refers to in his parables more often than any other. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fur hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it, and also heated out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it only it produced only 
worthless ones. If, if he's hewn out a wine vat at this point, he does expect it to produce good wine. Because it's going to take five years before you ever have a single worthy crop from that vine. Right? It's going to take five years. Uh, Logan shares a story about uh, he, their, their family. They have, a, they have a lemon tree in their yard. And the first time they, they planted it and, and it produced a lemon and he, he runs out there and grabs one of those lemons. Uh, it wasn't even worth making lemonade out of that lemon. No good. It takes time for trees to produce a good fruit. It takes time. Isaiah 5.7 says this. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. God is looking for a certain kind of fruit to come out of his kingdom. And the people that will produce that fruit are the ones that will repent. They will turn away from their own desires, their own design, their own perspective on life, and turn towards God and his design and his desires and his perspective on how this life should be lived. See, a kingdom built on the greatest commandment, which is to love you, Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second, like it, Jesus said, that you love your neighbor as yourself. There's a problem when that is the greatest commandment. And yet, there's a kingdom where the neighbors cry out. And when there's only bloodshed. I think about America's reputation as a, as a country. I think it's honest to say that we are a post-Christian country. Sometimes we think it's a post-Christian country because people are not saying yes as often as they used to. But maybe it's because we're just not paying attention to the cries of the oppressed and to the bloodshed that happens around us. See, this picture of a vineyard is about how does our community look? And it's the, it's the ones that choose Christ to live out his design. Those are the ones that God's going to call to account. Marty Solomon says this, throughout the message of Isaiah, God's frustration is abundantly clear. They are not taking care of the alien, the orphan, and the widow. They deprive the poor of justice and are overcome by their greed. They are too busy building their own empires to worry about God's kingdom. I think, I think about the people that, well, guys, on the national average, 
Church attendance is 1.6 times a month. Did you know that number is a reality? It's not true of our congregation. Our, our congregation is much, much more faithful. And there's reasons for missing church. That, that's, that's not really the point. Like if your family's in town, I think you should spend time with them. They travel a long ways. Be a great host. But are we a nation? Are we a people, even a Christian people, that has focused on our own empire, our, our own desires? Or have we got distracted? Would Jesus preach this same parable to the American church today? I think we have to read it that way if we're going to learn from it. If we're going to learn from it. And I think we have to repent for living in the kingdom and, and super excited to live within the kingdom, but not for the kingdom. I think of our parable last week of the wedding feast, where, where people were, were, they were too busy. They had too many things going on. Some were, were just trying to survive. Others were trying to thrive. They're trying to succeed, excel. And they didn't see God as the God of their survival or God as the God of their thriving, of their excelling. I think of my buddy, um, well, let me say this first. Sometimes, sometimes it's the newest Christians doing the most work within the kingdom. Sometimes it's the newest Christians doing the most work. My buddy uh, Donald Dunlap, he uh, was a heroin addict for a number of years. Life turned upside down, complete chaos. And when he came to Christ and started following Christ, he committed to everything. Everything to Christ. All of it. And because of Donald Dunlap, dozens of people have come to know the Lord. Countless people have been sent to treatment for heroin. He's got a wife. He's got a kid. He serves faithfully every week within the church. Their lives are devoted to the kingdom. They don't know of any other life but to live for the kingdom. That's what we're called to. The second parable, uh, again, takes place within the last week of uh, life of Christ. Uh, he, he, Jesus was with his disciples and they had just left the temple. And, they, and Jesus tells his disciples something shocking that the Romans, he, he, didn't, he didn't identify the Romans, but we know that they, they're the ones who, who did this. But, but Jesus says, do you see these stones? Not one stone will be thrown down or will remain on top of another, but they will all be thrown down. And so he's talking about the, the destruction of the temple. And so Jesus takes his disciples 
to the Mount of Olives, and, and he has what's called the, the livid discourse, the conversation on the Mount of Olives. And his disciples, they want to know, well, when's this going to happen? And, what, and what's the sign of your coming? And, and what's the sign of the end of the age? And, and Jesus mostly doesn't answer their question. I love that. But he, he, um, he talks about uh, Daniel and, and some of the prophecies out of Daniel and, and uh, probably Ezekiel and, and Isaiah as well. But then he starts sharing a series of parables. And this is one of the parables that Jesus shares with his disciples. And again, if Jesus is sharing this with his disciples, and we call ourselves disciples of Christ, then he's sharing it with us. He says this, Who then is a faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, they will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces? Wow. And assign him a place with the hypocrites. That's a strange phrase. We'll come back to that. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we, we see two slaves here, uh, two bond servants. Uh, there's a couple of different Greek words that, that speak to the, uh, the role a slave plays uh, in their relationship with their master. This is a bond servant. This is someone who chose to be a slave of this master. They said, you are a benevolent master, so I'm going to serve you. They weren't, they weren't hijacked from, from one continent and brought to another com- continent. They chose that life. So we have to understand that first and foremost. It's like you choosing to work for AT&T. It's your choice. No one made you work for AT&T. You applied. They hired you. You're supposed to do a good job when you're there. But the evil slaves exceeds their authority. The evil slave looks to dominate. The evil slave doesn't understand Christ's heart for serving. And Jesus says that that person will they will assign him a place with the hypocrites. Now, I find that phrase fascinating. Because first of all, that Greek word hypocrite is not used in the the, uh, Septuagint at all. So there's no connection to the Old Testament. But if we think about that connection, Jesus used that word all the time with the religious leadership, in, in particular with the Pharisees. 
I'm trying to remember if he shared it with, if he used that word with the Sadducees as well. But but Jesus would call out the Pharisees all the time and say, "You are acting like you're being religious and you're not. You're you're putting on a show." That word hypocrite uh, is connected to uh, th- their theater, the Greek theater. It's really fascinating that Jesus is using this term. Uh, some believe that, that Jesus might have been involved in building uh, some of the theaters around Israel. And that's why he's so familiar with this term. Does that make sense? Like, he's a, he was a carpenter, right? Um, but a hypocrite is, is an actor, someone who who lives out something different than who they are by, by nature. They're putting on a show. They're putting on a display. They're trying to conceal themselves. And the truth is that God always knows when we're playing games, right? So that's the evil slave. The good slave, we're told, will be put in charge of all of his possessions. Now, this particular phrase is connected to a very particular person in the Old Testament. In Genesis 39, we see these words. It came about from that time, he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. I believe that Joseph is the greatest example of what it means to be a servant. Probably in all the scriptures. The greatest example of what it means to live out being a servant. If you remember his story, um, Joseph was sold into slavery. A little different than... uh, than the bond service situation we're talking about. But he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Potiphar buys him as a slave. And God blesses everything within the hand, within the power of Joseph. So much so that we're told that Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything other than the food that he ate. Fascinating that Jesus, in describing how faithful his good servant is, is feeding people at the proper time. Maybe just another connection to this Joseph story. We're told that some masters would leave behind traps. Again, think about undercover boss. They leave behind traps just to see how people, how the servant would respond. You know that Joseph, you know, he, Potiphar didn't leave behind a trap, but there was a trap laid there to ensnare him. And Joseph's integrity says, no, I can't sin against my master and I can't sin against heaven. In Joseph, we see that serving the kingdom benefits not only our king, Jesus Christ, 
but also the community around us, that, that, that they don't even care. Potiphar didn't care about God, as far as we can tell. He had no interest in God. But as a faithful servant, Potiphar received blessing from Joseph's faithfulness. I believe that, well, I've, for the last 30 years, I have always lived out this ethic. Uh, where I go to church is a calling. What kind of ministry I do is a calling. And where I work is a calling. Where I go to church, how I serve within the church, and the kind of work that I do is a calling. And I believe that as long as we are working for the mom and pops down, shop down the street, or we're self-employed, but we're working for customers, that Christians should do the best job out of anybody because of who Christ is. That this parable about the faithful servant is about being faithful wherever we're at, whatever we're doing. And it should be seen in the way that we work for our boss, that we picked, that we chose. But I also believe that God was a part of in that process. I think we also see in this story, because if we know the rest of the story for Joseph as, as a faithful servant, he, he uh, ends up in prison again, uh, or maybe not again, he ends up in prison because Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and, and his faithfulness, and so she accuses him, he's thrown into prison, and again, he rises to the top as a servant. And ultimately, the nation is saved. The nation of Egypt is saved, but also his family, the family of God is saved. Our service, the way we work, the way we live out our integrity within our community is one of our greatest witnesses about who Christ is. And we should live that out. And, and, and let God decide what the result will be. I don't think Joseph had any clue of where God would take this. But if we'll be faithful in the little things, I believe that God is true to his promises that he'll give us much. So some implications. Some are acting like they're part of the kingdom. This is, this is a reality. This, is, this has always been true from, from day one. There are false teachers. There, there are people that, that they're acting like they're, they're part of the family, they're part of the kingdom of God, and they're just putting on a show. And, and we have to be 
aware of that. But I also think I have to ask myself the question of how am I being a hypocrite? In what ways am I being a hypocrite? Because I don't ever want to get to judgment day and find out that I was lying to myself. Some are acting like they're part of the kingdom. Implication number two, this is a kingdom of service and not a dominance. This is a kingdom of service and not a not of dominance. Again, and, and, and to serve in this way as a servant is a choice. The Apostle Paul always identifies himself as a bondservant. Always identifies himself as a bondservant. The faithful, believing, sensible, wise servant is known by the way they serve others. How can you tell if you're being faithful, if you're being believing? How can you tell if you're being sensible? How can you tell if you're being wise within God's kingdom? It's by the way you serve other people, feeding people at the proper time. And again, I think we should wrestle with the question, in what ways would I prefer to dominate Versus serve. In what ways would I puff up with with my friends that see things differently? In what ways do I try to dominate the conversation? In what ways am I unwilling to serve someone because of whatever their issues may be? There's, uh, I have an interesting situation with my neighbors. I live on a corner lot, and my neighbor up the hill, uh, I haven't, I didn't meet until this week, and uh, I'm, I'm snow blowing, and uh, she goes, "Are you that guy? Are you that guy?" Uh, she was happy to see me. Because what's been happening is between my two neighbors, I know that my other neighbor, uh, but I just met my neighbor up the hill. What's, what's been happening is whoever gets out there first, not only snow blows their part, but also does the sidewalk in front of their house. And so, like it's been, I think it's, we've been in competition a little bit to see who gets there first. Who snow blows first? the other neighbor's sidewalk, you know, so they're no longer in trouble with the city. I mean, it doesn't, like the driveway is a driveway, right? But the sidewalk's done, you're done. <laughs> if you got an all-wheel drive like we do, you know, I don't ever have to do that. I do, mostly because I can't get to my sidewalk if I don't. But, uh, but it's been this competition. It's like, you know, sometimes I beat my, both my neighbors, and sometimes I only beat one of my neighbors, and sometimes they both beat me. I'm disappointed at that point because I want to serve them. Uh, this started two years ago when I found out that the, the gal up the, up the hill, she's divorced. And, the, and my neighbor who said that was just 
they weren't, they were sharing that from the perspective of, you know, they, they might need some help. And I know sometimes they don't get to their driveway and, and, and one time they, like their driveway was, was getting buried deep. So there's been a couple of times where I've just completely did everything, did it all. Um, that, was, that was last year. So this year, they've started coming down the hill. And, uh, but there's been some times where I'm like, I don't have time to do their driveway or, or go up the hill. I don't have time to do all that. But we never know the impact we might have by the way we serve. Number three, in this kingdom, our work is to care for people. That's the work. That's the work. As much as, as, much as we have to make video stuff work and happen, as much as we need guys that can actually sing up here and not me on the microphone, and that's why we have that guy back there controlling the, the board so that I don't accidentally turn myself on because we've done that before, I've done that before. It's no good when I'm in the mix. But as much as we need those kinds of things to happen, this kingdom is about serving people. And you notice that Jesus' parables have nothing to do with how Sunday service happens, how temple worship happens. Has everything to do with the cry of the distress of people has everything to do with bloodshed, has everything to do with people being fed at the proper time. This kingdom, our work is to care for people. Finally, number four, while the world focuses on your past, in this kingdom, Jesus is most concerned with your present fruit. While this world will focus on your past. Man, if you're, a, if you're an NFL coach and you emailed some dumb things 10 years ago, and, and I'll admit they were some dumb things. But if you emailed some dumb things 10 years ago, oh, this country will turn on you so fast. Politically, if you did something wrong 30 years ago, even when culture thought it was more acceptable then, this culture will turn on you so fast. And that's just a reality. That's what this culture does. Christ cares about what's your fruit like, look like today. Now, Matthew, Matthew loves these kinds of stories, these stories about prostitutes and tax collectors entering into the kingdom because he was a tax collector. He was on the outside of the kingdom until Christ came. Temple worship was something that he would have been shunned for because of his work, because of his past. Jesus is most concerned about your present fruit. And we have to understand that repentance is our starting point with this kingdom. But it doesn't stop there. Repentance, regular repentance, leads to the best fruit. 
We need to go to God's word on a regular basis and have an honest conversation with God and let him change our minds, change our perspectives so that we turn towards him and live out the things that he calls us to. Sometimes we want to excuse ourselves. Sometimes we want to compare our fruit to other people's fruit and go, well, at least I'm not that guy. I think there's a parable in the story, a parable about that as well, isn't there? At least I'm not that guy, Lord. Repentance is our starting point. Regular repentance leads to the kind of fruit Jesus is looking for. If you're used to living life based off of what this world teaches us, you'll need to repent. And probably often. I know I do. We're going to pass out communion during this time, and then we'll, we will talk about uh, just a, a discipleship conversation. What does that look like? We are a relational discipleship church. And so we want to talk about how do we disciple people with these stories, with these parables, what does that look like? How do we have that conversation with our, our son or our daughter or our best friend? And it starts by telling the story. You got to tell the story. Discipleship starts with and ends with God's word. If we think we're making disciples and we're not sharing God's word, we're just fooling ourselves. So we got to tell the story. And you, you don't have to have the Bible in hand to, to share these stories. You don't have to get it word for word right to share the heart of Christ with other people. The gospel was shared for thousands of years before the common person ever had, 1,400 years before the common person ever had the scriptures in their hands. Now, if you can share the story, directly from, I think that is better. And we can ask questions like, who do you identify with within this story? Who do you identify? Do you identify with the elder son, the younger son, with the wise servant, with the wicked servant? And I think if we share who we identify with, and I try to do this in care group a lot, and go, well, you know what? I identify with the wicked servant this week, and this is why. I'm hanging out with the wrong kind of people this week. Not Sunday afternoons. You're the right kind of people. But it's a a question anybody can answer. Next question you can ask, what do you learn about the kingdom through the story? Do you learn about what it means to serve versus dominate? Do you learn about faithfulness? What do you learn in these stories? And the last question, what do you sense God leading you to do differently based upon this conversation or based upon this story? Uh, This is the basic outline for our care groups. But we do this on a regular basis so that you don't just do this in care groups, but you choose to live this out with other people. This is called a reproducible model. That Jesus discipled his 
students, his disciples, in such a way that they could go make disciples of others. We want to disciple you so that you could go make disciples of others. Engaging with God's Word, talking about God's Word, is how we make disciples. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church/give. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.